Potentially solving a cold case should never be a sad or depressing event. This is the Veritas 7 True Crime Podcast with your host, Kurt Dillon. This podcast is like nothing else out there. It's true crime. We don't present that in a morose or moribund manner. The Veritas 7 features the most interactive and immersive true crime podcasting experience ever imagined. Our whole goal is engagement with our audience. Before, during, and after each episode, we use actual police documents. This is the only podcast I know of where the audience can actually participate in the verdict. Don't forget to like and subscribe, so you'll know right away when each new episode goes live. We are all about solving these crimes. Our whole team is dedicated to uncovering the truth. That's where the name Veritas comes from. And now, let's get into the action. Take it away, Kurt. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me tonight. Your host, Kurt Dillon, for this, the Veritas 7 episode of The Boy in the Box. This is the really touching uh, story from back in the 50s, uh, where a little boy was found naked and wrapped in a blanket in a bassinet box that was originally purchased at JCPenney. He was found back in 1957, and he remained unnamed, unknown, and unsolved for the better part of 60 years before familial DNA finally put a name to the face. We're going to get all into it. There's a lot of details, a lot of crazy stuff happened in this case. You don't want to go anywhere. Stand by. The Boy in the Box coming up right after this here on the Veritas 7. Because Veritas means truth. And the truth starts now. I can't believe the price of dog food is getting outrageous. And if I want to save a few bucks, I have to carry a 50-pound bag of kibble up the stairs into my apartment. There has to be a better way. There is. I'm so glad you said something. You poor thing. We've been using TummyTimePetSupplies.com for over a year now. Tummy Time Pet Supplies? What's that? TummyTimePetSupplies.com. They have all the major brands and most smaller brands as well. In fact, we not only get all of our dog and cat supplies there, but they also have everything we need for Brett's chinchilla, Ashley's ferrets, Haley's iguana, and even Jordan's pet tarantula. Wow, they sell all that? And more. But what's best about TummyTimePetSupplies.com is that they ship everything through Amazon Fulfillment. That means that everything you order gets delivered right to your door, and if you're an Amazon Prime customer, shipping is almost always free. That really sounds incredible, but I bet it's super expensive. Mark just got laid off and I can't afford all those special conveniences for a while. Nonsense. In fact, Tummy Time offers some of the most reasonable prices anywhere. You really have to be a whiz and coupon shopping to beat their everyday prices, and when they run sales, forget about it. I can't believe it, an incredible selection, great prices, and right to your door service. So what do you think? I think the next time I buy anything for my pets, I'm going to TummyTimePetSupplies.com. I think that's a very wise choice. Me too. That's right. For all your pet needs, it's TummyTimePetSupplies.com. Remember TummyTimePetSupplies.com. Um, with this case, the boy in the box, you have a four-year-old boy. Now, at the time, back in 1957 when his body was found in February of 1957. This young boy, they couldn't tell exactly how old he was. He was somewhere between four and six. They found a naked body that was not skeletized, so he hadn't been in the box that long, in a JCPenney box that used to hold a bassinet, a specific brand bassinet. And he was naked, and he was wrapped in a plaid blanket, and whoever it was that put him in the box groomed his fingernails and toenails and gave him a haircut but the investigators actually believed that the haircut was administered post-mortem because several clumps of his hair were still attached to the body in the box. 
So they believe that they gave him a haircut before they put his body in the box. Now, also, as far as the evidence of this little boy, he was grossly emaciated, like possibly a week or so away from death if he didn't eat. All of his bones sticking out. He was beaten very badly. He had trauma all over his face, all over his torso, all over his legs. We have photos of all of that, by the way. This is what gets me why they couldn't more quickly identify who he was. He has surgical scars, at least three of them. One on his chin, one in his groin, and one on his ankle, where he was cut with a scalpel and professionally sutured. So they know that he had at least three surgeries. Why there's no hospital record of, you know, a four-year-old boy with an extensive surgical record, you would think that would pop up in some doctor or hospital's mind pretty quick. Not a whole heck of a lot of hospitals around there. I mean, it is Philadelphia, so there were some hospitals around there, but that can't be that common of an occurrence, you know, where you have a four-year-old boy that's getting these surgeries, especially on his chin, in his genital area, and on his ankle. That's, those are three pretty weird spots that need operations when you're four. It also begs the question, if he was that emaciated and had bruises on him or whatever the case may be, why didn't any of these doctors, nurses, or whatever report the family to social services and to the police? Uh, just weird, weird stuff. But where it starts to really get strange is the odd way that the cops tried to handle the investigation in this case. At the beginning, something they usually don't do, okay, the boy was found badly beaten and he was found naked and he was found in a box. They decided to try and, and I, and I quote, generate some interest and some recognizability. They dressed him in an outfit, posed him sitting up in a chair, his corpse, took pictures of that and included those photographs with everybody's gas bill in the entire city of Philadelphia. Yeah, they passed it out. Can you imagine opening your gas bill and getting that? Yeah, I could get where, you know, where the whole idea of putting kids' pictures on the side of milk cartons came from. But they're still alive. You're not showing corpse pictures on the milk carton. This kid was dead. And he'd been dead for quite a while. Not only was he dead, but his corpse was mutilated. So you dressed him up, posed him, took pictures of him, and passed him out to 400,000 people as an attachment to their gas bill. That just, I was like, wow. When I read that, I, I you know, I, I've never heard of anything like that. Then, definitely a different, definitely a different tactic. And, and definitely different era. Like, uh, you could never get away with that today. I mean, oh my God, imagine the lawsuits. Holy cow. I can't even imagine somebody even considering that today. But then the police doing what police do, not getting any viable hits from the gas bill fiasco. They release a composite sketch rendering photograph of the boy from the shoulders up, from the left side, from the right side, and straight ahead of, you guessed it, his beaten and mutilated corpse face. And they make, I think they said 40,000 copies of this poster, and they distributed them all over the place. So they were really fascinated with passing out pictures of this poor kid's corpse. This kid's body has to be the most photographed corpse in human history and the yeah, most him, widely disseminated him and black Dahlia for sure yeah and nobody could identify him i think they did it though because you know when they looked back they didn't have any missing children reports in that area so they exactly. had absolutely nothing to go on they were just trying to get somebody to say hey i know who that kid is what's even stranger is at four years old i guess you can make the argument that maybe they kept the kid a recluse and like locked him chained him to the bed and locked him there have been cases of that happening where you know the kid never sees the light of day and he's just locked in a room his whole life so i guess that's possible but he'd clearly been to the doctor before 
Exactly. So he clearly been to the doctor. That means somebody outside of the house had to know this kid, especially at four. Because at four, you're walking and talking. You, if you're not, if you're not taught real well, maybe you're grunting like a caveman. But you're still your four year old kid. And from what the reports say, the family was relatively affluent, so they probably had servants in the house. They certainly had neighbors. So if the kid ever went and played out in the backyard, played with the neighbor's kid or something, somebody had to have seen this kid. So what hits me about this case is that this had to be a conspiracy. No matter how evil the parents might have been, I don't see any scenario where they could keep a lid on this after the kid disappeared without other people noticing he was gone. Well, I did read that after they identified him, he's got some half-siblings that are alive. Exactly right, yes. So they must be younger than him, right? He was born in 57. He was born, no, he was born in 54. He died in 57. So in 04, he would have been 50. In 14, he would have been 60. And in 24, he'd have been 70. So no, they're pretty young still. They could be older than him. He could have siblings that are 80, 85. They just, you know, kind of old now. Doesn't say anywhere in the reports what the ages of his siblings are. They just say that he has half siblings. And, you know, it's... He he and was named not, after his father. If they were if they were alive when when the boy was alive, how do you not and never slip out like, hey, where's the little brother at? Well, exactly right. And you better believe that has to be has to be a conversation that the cops are having with those half siblings now. Convince me you didn't know. You know what I mean? Now don't get me wrong. You're not going to get charged or convicted of murder. But conspiracy to commit murder and conspiracy to cover it up, shit, yeah, it's got to be on the table, unless there is a statute of limitations on that. But I would imagine as a cop, going to their house or calling them on the phone, listen, I'm sorry, there's no nice way to say this. You need to somehow prove to me you had no idea. The parents couldn't have made up a story that the kid died because where's the funeral? Where's the body buried? Just wild, wild, crazy stuff. So you have this incident, but now where it really gets weird, when they didn't get any hits or any love from the posters and the pictures that they pulled with the gas bill, the cops obviously tried to trace the box that the kid was in, as well as the blanket that he was wrapped in. So they found out that the box was originally a box that carried a bassinet that was sold by JCPenney. Okay, so there is evidence Somebody, a woman, her name is is M or Martha. Some people call her M, some people call her Martha, who reported to the cops that she believed that the stepdaughter of an orphanage that was in the area, only a couple of blocks from where the body was found, was the mother of the child. And that they killed the child there at the orphanage and got rid of the body to help avoid the disgrace of the stepdaughter being labeled as an unwed mother. So obviously investigators go to the orphanage and they look around. And they investigate. And what they find is there's a bassinet in the orphanage that matches the bassinet that would have been in the box that the body was found. So that really piques a little curiosity because here we have a a dead body in a box, in a bassinet box. And here we are in an orphanage and lo and behold, there's the bassinet or at least the same bassinet. So they interview the the stepfather and the stepdaughter Martha or Ma- or M whatever you want to call her name and they're satisfied at that point that there's no evidence like links the boy in the box to the orphanage they interview everybody at the orphanage including the kids and the kids all say no there was no boy that was here that disappeared that you know was here just a couple of weeks ago and isn't here anymore or whatever and everybody unanimously said this so that was enough to hold them off for the time, and the investigators left. Several years go by, 
And a cold case detective decides, I don't remember if it was in like in the 1980s and the 1990s, all these years later, that he decides he's going to revisit the orphanage and he's going to talk to the stepfather and the stepdaughter, which ironically, the stepfather now pulled. They got married, didn't they? Yes. He now pulled a Woody Allen and he now married the stepdaughter. Okay. That's right. And, you know, living together, running the orphanage in their old age. We have no idea what happened to the mother or the wife that was at that time. She's not part of the story anywhere. I couldn't dig up anything on her. But long story short, after reopening the investigation into the orphanage, they definitively were satisfied with the fact that the orphanage wasn't involved in any way. So they ultimately ruled out the orphanage. Then in 2019, well, actually twice, in 1999, they exhumed the body of the boy to run DNA tests on the body. They also, uh, about a year before that, moved the body from Potter's Field. The, The body was originally buried in a Potter's Field with just a number as its marker. In 1998, about a year before they exhumed him, they moved him to a nice cemetery there in um, Philadelphia. And they gave him a beautiful headstone and a beautiful placard over the gravesite where they called him America's unknown child. And the placard said, God, please bless this unknown child. So they did that. I guess there was a fund where money was raised or whatever to, to pay for that. A year after they transplanted him, for lack of a better word, they exhumed his body. So this is the second time his, this boy was exhumed after he was buried in the 50s. And they got some DNA samples. 20 years later, in 2019, they exhumed him again. And they got more DNA samples because they needed more specific, a more specific type of DNA to do genealogical DNA testing. So this poor kid obviously had a horrible life on earth and then got dug up three times. Yes. Yes. So intrigued by this was this young boy, Boy Scout, who has a very long name. I'm not going to mention it here, but the photographs are on the website. Well, they're going to be on there very shortly at the time of this recording. Lobbied for two years his Boy Scout troop. They did car washes and bake sales until they had enough money to purchase a historical marker, a metal dark blue historical marker with yellow trim and yellow wording that is now permanently planted at the site where they found the boy in the box. And it basically just tells his story. It's a short metal, you know, like George Washington slept here. It's one of those. Uh, But it's, you know, this is where they found the boy in the box. And I don't know, at the time that they put that sign up, they hadn't identified him yet. So I don't know if they're going to try and make another one with his name on it or not. Yeah, it was five years. Yeah. Erected as an Eagle Scout. Kudos to the kid for going out of his way. He didn't stop. He didn't take no for an answer. And, he, you know, he he kept going until he got the money to to get that thing and put it up there. Also, the society. Yeah, V-I-D-O-C-Q. I'm I'm reading the sign now. Like the Vicodic or the Vulcanic or whatever it is. um, A society helped him with the fundraisers and and funding it and buying it and all that kind of stuff. So that was just a cool little caveat. Now, this to me is the intriguing part of this case. If you're the cops, what are you going to do? Are you really going to try and hunt somebody down and charge somebody with this kid's deaths? I mean, we have his, uh, we know his family. Uh, We know the parents. Uh, We know the siblings. 
I mean, I, I feel like you have to start there, right? It's been yeah, well, the parents are both there. Do it. It's just been such a confusing journey. I mean, it, there's been all these different stories and scenarios of step, you know, like stepdad marrying daughter, or, or I mean, and then they thought it was this one family, and it's just been this. It's really just this insane journey of just figuring out who this little guy belonged to. It's just really convoluted. But the, I think even the sadder part of this is that nobody gave a shit enough to identify this kid. Nobody. If you're a doctor and you did three surgeries on this kid or more, you're not going to follow up? <clears throat> well, one of the things I had read somewhere was they thought maybe this child was raised as a, a girl, which is why they cut his hair after he died. Did you read that? I did hear that, that they, they thought maybe he was raised as a girl. And there was two different people that had found him originally in the box and both people said they didn't speak out because they were worried that they would be tied to the case so a lot of think a lot of people didn't want to be involved well the first group of kids that found the box found the body had they were trapping muskrat illegal animals or something yeah, yeah they were trapping muskrats illegally and they were afraid that if they called the cops they were going to get charged for setting out the illegal muskrat traps so they didn't say anything to anybody ever then could have been too long afterwards because another thing that nobody really brings up, this kid wasn't too badly decomposed. So he could have been in that box outside for really long. Now, it was February in Pennsylvania, and it was kind of cold, but it usually doesn't stay freezing during the day. So I can't believe that the kid's body was frozen hard as a carp. But They did uh, say so from the original time that the second set of, so the second person that found him, I guess, was the man. And they did say if he would have just come forward at that time, it would have been a little bit easier to identify his face or him a little bit better at that point. But then they were able to make the guy who went on this quest to try to figure out who this kiddo was, made a mask of his face and traveled around the country, even to Texas, to try to solve this this crime. Yeah, it's, it's a very strange case. And from the perspective of criminal charges now, 70 years later, I doubt it. I just don't. Yeah, the kid deserves his pound of flesh, but I can't see them going. The parents are dead. If the parents were alive, I could see going after the parents and trying to make a criminal case. 100%. Because there's no if ands, or buts about it. The parents either actually killed the kid or knew he died. Yeah, involved in some way, you know. Um, but I think in the end, and, and, you know, we'll really dig and dig and dive deeper into this, but... For me, as a mother, I'm just glad that the little guy has his name. Like, to me, that's like a very emotional part of this whole story is just that he finally got his name and had his little identity. And that's, I mean, there's those mass graves that sit in Ireland and they weren't discovered in, until they went to go excavate the area to build some like construction houses or whatever. And they found like hundreds and hundreds of these graves of these dead girls and just blank gravestones with no name. And I think the biggest quest for the people at that time in Ireland was to figure out a way to give each one of these girls a name. And so for me, that was important that they were able to do that recently. Hey, one thing I just looked up that I didn't see in anything I've read is after identifying the parents, they said they lived near 61st and Market Street. Was it Market or something? I thought it was a, just doing it from memory. It says 61st and Market? 61st and Market. Okay. They also said 64th and Callow Hill. But the distance between that intersection and where he was found is 15 miles. So it's not close. 
Oh, okay. The articles that I read made it sound like it wasn't that far. The orphanage was right up the road. Like, it was right there. Body was found very close to the orphanage. Yeah, 1.5 miles. Right. So, I just, yeah, that's odd. But... Able to tie the 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 box, which was the J.C. Penney's box for the bassinet, were they able to tie that to the original parents at no. all? No, they weren't, no. because they had like a shipping address where they thought that that box had originally come from, or at least the general area, and then the hat that they had found, the green hat that the lady had made custom made for this gentleman. Yeah, the, uh, the so corduroy hat. Yeah. And then there was the um, the handkerchief with the G on it. And those were all just kind of like diversions, I guess, really at this point. So, but I, the J.C. Penney's box, like, I mean, obviously, whoever put him in the box that had to come, there got to be some tie with that to the to that family. I mean, you would think, but like, where'd they get the box? Back in <laughs> back in 1957, you don't know what kind of records J.C. Penney's was keeping. Are they going to keep records of how many people bought that bassinet and where it went to? They did. So what happened was, is they were able to track the box to that J.C. Penney specifically, and it was a bassinet box, and they were able to say that they had sold this many of that version of the bassinet, and they went through all of their transactions, and every transaction that they had for that bassinet was paid in cash. Wow. Well, I can imagine there really wasn't a lot of credit card use, or deb- there was no debit right. cards, and right. there was not much credit card use back in 1957, right. so... Yeah, maybe some check writing, but who even knows about that, right? <laughs> right, right. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, really, really weird. It's just that now, that's the thing that gets me, is I really find it hard to believe that nobody noticed this kid was gone. Not the siblings. The parents obviously were involved. There's obviously no way when little Joey doesn't come home one night, mom is just like, oh, well, he must have found someplace better. That doesn't happen. So clearly the parents knew little Joey wasn't coming home anymore. Well, did we determine the age of the siblings? I think I believe that you had mentioned that there was there was five other siblings in that family. The oldest, or maybe he, you know, the other ones weren't born yet by that time. It's hard to say. We don't know because don't it says that, that they were half siblings, the siblings right. that he does have. And the article that I read doesn't put a number on it. Gosh, so, that could have been like the new stepdad getting rid of the kid from the previous marriage yeah maybe little joey literally was the redheaded stepchild or he, it was an accidental death and they just didn't want their lives to be affected and you know in fact they didn't kill him and it was well, accidental. And I, you know i would agree with that if it wasn't for the fact that the kid was beaten to a pulp i thought that they had found that he had little incision marks like one on his ankle but other than that the original thing i had read that that they didn't see anything other than that but i didn't I must have skipped or missed the part where they had said that it showed that he was beaten. Oh, yes. Yeah, he was, his, his whole face was almost unrecognizable. Black and blues and bruises all over his body. You'll see when I post the pictures up, the, we, we actually have autopsy photos of him. So his, I mean, his torso is badly bruised. His skin is so translucent, you could like see his organs through his skin. Oh, he was tortured. Well, there goes the story of that other woman saying that it might have been an electrocution from an electric nickel horse outside of a store. Oh, yeah. No, there's no doubt this kid yeah. was abused long term, too. But like you said, then why bring the kid to the doctor? That's another thing I don't get. The kid was had three surgeries unless the father or somebody very close to the family was a doctor and operated on the kid in the house. I mean, back in those days, I guess anything is possible. They still, when you died, laid your body on the dining room table for everybody to come over to the house for the wait. Did they say what those surgeries were? Were they like bone reconstruction surgeries or 
No, they didn't say no. They didn't. They it never just said. had he had those three in different incision areas. Yeah. Now the one in the chin and the one in the groin absolutely could have been prelude to some kind of rudimentary sex change operation if they really did want to convince people it was a girl. And, you know, maybe when he got to be four, they got freaked out that, you know, we were not going to, because there was a, there was an actual birth certificate. They got the birth certificate. Now we're not going to be able to fake this when it comes time that he has to go to school. Yeah. I'm kind of hung on to that because of maybe that's why no one recognized him. You know, I'm the neighbor and with my gas bill, I get this picture of this boy, but my neighbor had a baby girl. Right. Maybe that's why I didn't recognize him. Right. Although, again, didn't somebody notice the baby girl was missing? I guess you could explain it away by saying they were probably a reclusive family. And the kids didn't go out and play in the backyard or swim in the pool or ride bikes up and down the, the road or, or play well, stickball in the like street. Maybe, it sounds like maybe she might have had this child with maybe that previous husband and then met the new husband. And then he's like, you know, something happened with not wanting to have this child. But. You know, maybe nobody really knew about this little kiddo that she had. And oh, then yeah. I, I think I read somewhere that once they figured out who he was, they had determined he was older than they thought he was. Was that the case? Did you hear that? They no, thought they, maybe he was four, but then they thought he was. When they found him, they said he could be four to six. Oh, OK. Yeah. okay. And it turns out it turns out literally that he was only a month over. He, he just turned four. So you think we can get police reports for this? We should. Can't imagine why they would not want. It's not a whodunit. They're not trying to figure. You know what I mean? Clearly, it's familial. Uh, yeah. There's uh, there's no like. It's not like a home invasion or a kidnap. There's no way you're going to make an argument that it wasn't somebody that was in his family that that killed him. You know, at the very least, hid the body and knew he was dead. Man, can you imagine if we got the list of the siblings and somehow contacted one of them? Oh sure. Oh, and don't, would, if I if I get the list of their names, you better believe I'm going to try. That would be awesome. Why not? Seventy years old. What are you going to do? Give me dirty looks? I think that's what we have to do here. Absolutely. Yeah, we doubt. have to find we have to find the siblings, and we got to get a hold of one of them. Absolutely, absolutely, without a doubt. If he didn't die of a heart attack already, wait till I get off the phone with him. But if little Joseph, my you know, he was my older brother. I never saw him or knew of him. I mean, somebody had to say something at some point. That, that's the thing somewhere there's something that's the thing i can't get over the hospital the doctors whatever and i get the timing because at four you only have and back then they had preparatory school and pre-k and every kid at like you know parents didn't want their kids at home the nanny raised their kids and all of that stuff so at four you're getting to the point now where you got you wanted a little girl now you got a crapper get off the pot because this kid's going to be, we got to register this kid for kindergarten like soon. And we have to show his birth certificate and his immunizations and all of that stuff to get him to go to school. So, you know, we can't call him Matilda. Society wasn't all real down with that gender identity stuff back then like they are now. If you had a little boy and you dressed him up as a little girl, they had a special place for you. So, yeah, we got to, we have to find these siblings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I couldn't find their names in any of the reports. Hopefully when I FOIA the actual police reports, hopefully their names will be in there somewhere. It'll be really interesting because the route that they got it, they originally tied him to a cousin and then they tied the cousin to one of his half siblings. Very weird. The pathology. Well, I'm, sure, I'm sure the cousin would be willing to talk because the cousin willingly submitted uh, DNA for this, right? Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. 
So that cousin might be where we start. And and I can you can see how a distant cousin could lose touch and not know what happened to their cousin. But I, you know, again, there's no way mom and dad didn't know. There's no way any siblings that were older than him. There's no way they didn't know because he's four. They're five or six. You know, mom, dad, brother, and all of that at five. You know, you just do. I remember five vividly. Three and four, I don't remember vividly. But I remember five, you know, kindergarten. I remember all of that. Not day for day verbatim, but uh, pretty good. My memory, I, I definitely would remember my brother from back then. Yeah, but you're, you're also going to remember stories, you know. I, yeah, I guess if your parents are brainwashing you that he went away to go live with your Aunt Sally and then suffered a, a, a horrible accident and they could, you know, his body was burned beyond mutilation. So there's no funeral or we're just going to go out in the backyard and bury him like the cat. Yeah, uh, there's going to be pictures. Yeah, uh, you know. It could, but like he said, you know, it's very easy to tell little tiny kids like, hey, your brother went to go live with your aunt. And then the, the, all the questions cease at that moment. So maybe there is pictures, but they all just figured... You know, he went to go live somewhere else. I mean, my parents told me that they gave my dog to the neighbor and they put my dog down. And forever, my whole life, I thought my dog was living happily in some farm. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? I, I mean, the stories that you tell little kids just to placate them is, is you know, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting case. It's also going to be interesting with this case to get the opinions and the views uh, from our listeners, because this case has been around so long. This is the oldest one that we've dealing with out of this group uh, in this first set of cases that we're handling. And there's been so many books written and so many movies made about it. It's going to be hard to find people that have never at least heard of The Boy in the Box, or as he was also known as America's Unknown Child. I did read that he never had a social security number issued to him. Well, you know, you never do. I, you know, and a funny aside to that, I actually, about five, six years ago, I got into an argument with somebody at Sprint when they, I went into a Sprint store and I was going to buy a new phone and I'm sitting there and they're doing the, the check on me. Now I had AT&T at the time. So that's why they had to you know, run my credit again and all that happiness. And they're running my credit and they get a fraud alert. And the guy from the credit department wants to talk to me on the phone. And he's asking me a few questions and he actually has the stones to say to me, how long are you going to keep this up? And I'm like, excuse me. What? And he says to me, how long are you going to keep this up? Trying to pretend that you're somebody else. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And the guy was like, listen, I'm looking at your credit report. You said in your application here that you're born in 1971, but it says on your credit report that your social security number was issued in 1985. Wow. And he says to me, so I know that's not your social security number. And I turn around and I said to the guy, listen, I don't know how you got this job, but if you work in credit, I can't believe that you don't know that absolutely no American before the year 1974 was issued a social security number at birth. None, not one. They didn't do it back then. What happened is you were born, you got your birth certificate. When you got to be working age and you went to go apply for working papers, you had to apply for a social security number in person at a social security office. Everybody had to do that. That's why I was 14 years old when I went into a social security office and requested a social security number because I wanted to work in a restaurant called the Hungry House Cafe. Wow. Hey, I and the guy was just mystified. So then I turned around and I said to him, now I want to speak to your supervisor. You're gonna, it's going to be a good day for you if you get away with only getting fired. 
because I'm going to debate over the next couple of days whether or not I'm going to sue the ever-living bejesus at a sprint for accusing me of fraud. Right. When I can absolutely prove that that's my social security number. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I and I told the supervisor when he got on the phone, I don't know how I, I don't know how that guy got this job or how you brought him in there and didn't train him and let him know that, you know, yeah, it might be a warning flag when the date of issue of a social security number doesn't match the date of birth on the thing, but for people who are born in the early 70s or the 60s or the 50s, that doesn't apply. Hey, I got a little interesting tidbit here for you. Okay. So based on the uh, DNA, they were able to find his parents. His parents are Augustus John Zarelli. Yep. And his mother is Mary Elizabeth Plunkett. Also known as Betty. Yes. Betsy. Yeah, Betsy. That's right, Betsy. I uh, found Augustus J. Zarelli's obituary and it said he died on june 14th i got all his sisters his brother and he is survived by his loving wife of 55 years cynthia so at the time of death he's married to cynthia for 55 years in 2014 what, all right 2014 is the year he died all right so let's let's so do what's 50, is now. that 1959 no 57 57 no, no, no. So is when the kid what, died 54 what's, is when he was born. What's 2014 minus 55? Uh, 50 years is 04. So and then 14. So it's 60 years exactly. Minus, so 2014 50. minus 55. So he marries Cynthia in 1959. Two years after the kid's death. Correct. And he's got children. Gus, Jeanette, Peter, Cynthia, nine grandchildren. So, so those children are his half siblings. Correct. Guess it's not going to tell you what years they're born or how old they are. No, I'll send you this link. But yeah, definitely send me the link because now we could do individual searches on each one of them. So here's and, the and find at least some information on a few of them. So there's the obituary on the dad. All right. Now I want to see if I can find the one on the mother, Mary Elizabeth Plunkett. She also had another maiden name that. that was in parentheses. What the hell was... Uh... Got her. She died in 91. Wow. She lived to a ripe old age. Here, I haven't read it, but I, I'm going to post it real quick while I read it. So I found both parents' obituaries. All right. Elizabeth Abil, A-B-I-L, I guess it is. Mary Elizabeth Abil, I think, was her original name, and then Plunkett was her second married name. Interviews with members of both families offer form, far more answers to a decades-long mystery. I bet it would, because, like I said, if any of them were older than him, they got to remember him. So it's going to be real interesting to search their names now and, and see what we will see. So in 52, Gus married Mary. Gus married Betsy in 52. Okay. And, and then produced this child. Right. Joseph was born in 54, killed and, and abandoned like a piece of trash in 57. She was 21 when he was born. So they don't know if they put him up for adoption. So how they're still they, trying to pan no... it off like he came from the orphanage? Yeah. That did even though, even though that's his parents, that he really did come from the orphanage? So she had a daughter in 50 that was put up for adoption. Really? No kidding. Man, that's who we want. That's, I mean, these people should just be a law against these people reproducing. That stands very true today. You should have to fill out an application like a home loan in order to have a child. 
I mean, it, really, that, that's just insane. But it, it's going to be really interesting to go at these family members. How do we not know if they gave the, uh, the baby up for adoption? That's going to be a good question, especially if we're going to say that they're trying to make it look like he came from that orphanage. So it was Gus's niece that submitted the DNA. Yeah, I, rem- I remember reading that. Although there was no name attached to her, just Gus's niece. So, yeah. As we look up each one of these kids and we see their ages, then we're going to know. Because it's been 70 years since Joseph was found. 74. He would be 74 if he was still alive today. So any of these kids that are older than 74 absolutely had to have known him. And if they're between 70 and 74, they probably knew him. That's some deep stuff. I, I This genealogical DNA... I, just just as a quick sidebar here, what do you all think about this? I'm going to be doing a whole blog series on this. I've already started the research for it. I just want to get your take. Do you think they're violating anybody's rights by going in and, and pulling this familial DNA and trying to trace back stuff? Well, I think, I think what we need to know now after reading what I'm reading is we need to know if this boy was given up for adoption. They don't know this yet, and I don't understand how they don't. Because she had already given another child up for adoption prior to this. If that boy was given up for adoption, they're clear, right? If he wasn't, there's guilty of sin. But here's the thing. Again, records from that period are really sketchy. And the cops already investigated that orphanage with the stepfather and the stepdaughter who ultimately, you know, did a, a Woody Allen. They've already investigated them. That doesn't mean they didn't do it, but they didn't find any tie or any evidence to show. And everybody there at the orphanage swore that they never saw a boy there or a girl. I, well, I guess they didn't say a girl. Maybe the orphanage tried to dress him up as a girl. And the orphanage had a bassinet matching the box, right? Yes, they did. Yeah, that's true. They, they did confirm that the orphanage had at least one bassinet that matched the box. All right. So so I think the first thing we need to know is, is was this child adopted? And I don't know how to find that. Here's the thing with adoptions. They went back and they rooted and they found his birth certificate. Now, if he was adopted or even put up for adoption, you would think they would have changed his name. Well, we only know his name because of the DNA, right? Right, but what I'm saying is they went, if you read all the articles on it, the cops actually went and got a hard copy of his, of his birth certificate. Yeah, I saw it. So if there was an adoption where his legal name was changed, there would be an amended birth certificate that would be attached to the original. So anybody pulling the original would know that's not the kid's name anymore. He was born with that name, but it was changed however long afterward. So if they didn't find that, that means that even if he was adopted, they opted to leave his name, you know, what it is. Joseph Zarelli, with his middle name matching his dad's, Augustus. But if I'm some weirdo that's going to adopt this boy, you know, maybe they did it with, you know, not an illegal platform, just took the boy and maybe they didn't do any paperwork. That's, that's very possible. That's very possible. I mean, it, it happened all the time, especially in that era, it happened all the time because you had exactly that beef that they were talking about. You had all of this stigma around unwed mothers and all this other kind of stuff. And there, there are women that would rather take their eye out with a knitting needle than admit that they had sex out of wedlock. It's going to be interesting to try and hunt down those half siblings and chat. Well, with them. I have, I have them, I have all their names in that chat I just posted. And I'm going to spend some time la- later this week going over them and trying to hunt them down. 
and reach out to them in some way, shape, or form. The thing is, at their advanced age, they probably don't have Facebook profiles, yeah. although we might get lucky and one of them does. You know, there might be one techie out of the group. Yeah, my mom has a Facebook profile, but if you tried to message her, she wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, you know, you, you never know. But you can really glean some information like where they live off of a Facebook profile. So people usually put in at least what city they live in. Yeah. So it looked like both of them are buried in Philadelphia. That You know, they didn't really go anywhere. And I guess Gus owned some construction company and was a productive member of society. Yeah, they said that the family was semi-affluent, was, was the wording that I saw. That's what struck me as odd. A, a family of means would have just sent her away somewhere to have the baby. If that was the case, if they were just trying to cover up on like an unwanted pregnancy, back in those days, they used to send her to a convent like two states away. That's what nuns were for back then. So just a very odd case. But yes, you're, you're 100% right. If he was adopted, that gets the parents off the hook. The only thing is proving it. Can you prove if it was illegal? You could prove if it was a legal adoption, but if it was an illegal adoption and somebody just took the kid, like a nephew or a distant cousin, how are you going to fix blame? You could, it's definitely criminal to sell your kid or to give your kid away, but that's a much lesser crime than murder. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Mutilation and desecration of a corpse. Thank you, everybody. We are really interested and can't wait to get all your feedback on this case. Do you think the boy was adopted? Here's a better one. Since this is going to be an ongoing investigation with us here at the Veritas 7, if you have any ideas on how you would go about trying to approach or hunt down these half-siblings that are all probably in their 70s, get in the Facebook discussion group, email us, let us know, get part of the information, and let's hunt these people down together. I can't believe the price of dog food is getting outrageous. And if I want to save a few bucks, I have to carry a 50-pound bag of kibble up the stairs into my apartment. There has to be a better way. There is. I'm so glad you said something. You poor thing, we've been using TummyTimePetSupplies.com for over a year now. Tummy Time Pet Supplies? What's that? TummyTimePetSupplies.com. They have all the major brands and most smaller brands as well. In fact, we not only get all of our dog and cat supplies there, but they also have everything we need for Brett's chinchilla, Ashley's ferrets, Haley's iguana, and even Jordan's pet tarantula. Wow, they sell all that? And more. But what's best about TummyTimePetSupplies.com is that they ship everything through Amazon Fulfillment. That means that everything you order gets delivered right to your door, and if you're an Amazon Prime customer, shipping is almost always free. That really sounds incredible, but I bet it's super expensive. Mark just got laid off and I can't afford all those special conveniences for a while. Nonsense. In fact, Tummy Time offers some of the most reasonable prices anywhere. You really have to be a whiz and coupon shopping to beat their everyday prices, and when they run sales, forget about it. I can't believe it, an incredible selection, great prices, and right to your door service. So what do you think? I think the next time I buy anything for my pets, I'm going to TummyTimePetSupplies.com. I think that's a very wise choice. Me too. That's right. For all your pet needs, it's TummyTimePetSupplies.com. Remember TummyTimePetSupplies.com. All right, folks, that's it for this episode of the Veritas 7, The Boy in the Box. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been a great one. Obviously, this is a an ongoing case, so if there are any updates, we will keep you posted with update episodes or update announcements uh, tacked on to this episode. For all of us here at the Veritas 7, thank you for tuning in. Have a great night. God bless. We'll talk to you soon. Stay safe. Bye-bye. 
sun is setting fast, I know And I can feel you bid me go But I don't wanna leave just yet Cause I've got so much left to see But I know freedom make that free If I ain't got you by my side Oh, my love Won't you come and walk with me while Time don't stop Even in the middle of a dream so turn the car around and leave Meet me underneath the trees I Heaven sent, and I've never felt this way. 